0: And today we're talking about relationships. Last week here, uh, Tim talked about the relationship within the Trinity. And uh, I'm, I'm sorry I wasn't here for it. Uh, thankful to hear about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and how they coexist, three in one. And today we're talking about relationships in community, uh, specifically in our Christian community. Now, before we get started, I just want to say this that each of you has a specific world view. And your worldview is the way that you see things around you. you see the world. It's the lens through which you look at everything and interpret things. And so I'll give you an example. Your worldview is revealed by how you react to certain things. So this past week, um, a gorilla was shot in Cincinnati, OK? It's all over social media, all over the news. Now, if your worldview is essentially that we're all just animals and uh, we're just at different places on the evolutionary chain, um, then that was a, a real sad day. What a tragedy that that gorilla was, was shot. Now, if your worldview is that um, we are all created beings, animals and humans, but there is a distinct difference, the biggest being that... Men and women are made in the image of God Almighty. Then, and then, while it is still sad, um, it's not so tragic in the end because um, human life is eternal life. We each have a soul. Um, another totally different worldview might be that uh, uh, the, the parents should be uh, making sure some, their kids not sneaking into the uh, into the cage or whatever. But that's a whole different story. Okay. So your worldview then is revealed by the way that you react to certain specific situations. And so let's start here. Number one, to cultivate Christ-centered community, we must first understand the culture in which we live. We must first understand the culture in which we live. We live in an anti-Christian world. The devil has been given authority The scripture teaches in this world, he's the the prince of the power of the air, and uh, even uh, us, men and women, we're inclined to sin. We're born into sin. And so in our world, there are many different views um, that if you take them to their uh, nth degree, they are destructive worldviews. Number one, let's look at this one, materialism. Materialism says this, possessions are God. Possessions are God. Somebody who is a materialist, on their car, in the back of their car, their bumper sticker would read this, he who dies with the most toys wins. Everything in life has to do with wealth. Everything has to do with either spending or saving. Uh, by the way, spending and saving are two sides of the same coin If you're a materialist, you're so into spending, you don't have anything extra, and you're going crazy into debt because you're spending like crazy, or you're saving like crazy, you're hoarding everything. Jesus had something to say about that. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus said, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. He goes on, then he tells a parable. He says, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns. I will build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. He's saving. It's not bad. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now we must provide for our needs. The the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy that the the person who doesn't provide for his family is worse than an unbeliever. So sure, there's there's needs that must be met, but if we take it to the nth degree, materialism is an anti-Christian worldview. How about this worldview? Hedonism. Hedonism says this, pleasure is God. A hedonist driving down the road, the back of his car, his bumper sticker or her bumper sticker, would read this. If it feels good, do it. It doesn't matter if it hurts others or, or if, it, if, it, if it even hurts yourself. If it brings you pleasure, enjoy it. What's a biblical response to this worldview? Turn in your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes. Those of you who are good at Sunday school, who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes? Solomon. Solomon was, he can talk about pleasure. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Solomon writes... I said in my heart, Come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this was also vanity. I said of laughter, It is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of men to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works, I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruits and trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, The delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. Now that's questionable. He had a lot of concubines and wives, okay? Um, (laughs) Verse 10 And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, All was vanity and a striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Solomon experienced some of the greatest pleasures that this world can offer and afford, and at the end of the day, it was a failed worldview. Hedonism says pleasure is God. How about this worldview? Individualism. Individualism would say this, I am God. I am God. The bumper sticker for this person would say this, it's all about me. It's all about me. Now the world caters to this worldview big time. It's all about you. From advertisements to social media to everything we come across. Let me give you a few examples. You deserve a break today, McDonald's. Have it your way, Burger King. What's on your mind, Facebook? And as I'm getting done with Facebook, I'll go back to the old magazine, Self Magazine. It's all about you. Did you post today? Did you show everybody the new toothbrush you got? (laughs) What's a biblical response? Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Look to the interests of others. Now part of what makes our country great is rugged individualism. And in many ways, there's a lot of positives to that. But if we take that to the furthest degree, that is anti-Christian. It's not all about me. We look to Jesus as our example, who said in Matthew 20, verse 28, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Last one, anti-Christian worldview. We're, we're understanding our world in which we live, and then we're going to get to our text this morning and see what biblical community, Christ-centered community looks like in the relationships that we have with one another. But one more, collectivism. Collectivism, or you could call it a form of, of socialism or, or communism. It's, it's this idea that government is God. That government is God. A bumper sticker. On a collectivist, would read this. There's no I in team. There's no I in team. It reminds me of Michael Jordan when he was uh, after a game and he was all pumped up. He had won the game for the Chicago Bulls. Tex Winter, longtime assistant coach of the Chicago Bulls, said, "Hey Michael, just remember, there's no I in team." To which Michael responded, "There's an I in win." I like that. It didn't have anything to do with the sermon, but it, it was it was good. <laughs> But if you don't really believe there is a God, if you don't really believe there is a higher authority, then what is the highest authority on the land? The highest authority is the government, and government is the one that will save me. Government is the one that will take care of me. Government is the one that will protect me, and it should. All those things can be good. But someone has once said this, and I think it's true. Politics is the religion of people who don't know God. What's the biblical response? Romans chapter 13, we see the, the reason that government is provided. and we, we are to obey the governing authorities because God puts the government in authority to protect its people, to punish the evildoer, to keep laws, and to um, mete out justice. And, and that's the proper form of government. And we are to obey the government, and we are to pay our taxes, and we are to do the things that God calls us to do, as it relates to our governing authority, unless it infringes upon the principles of Christ himself. We see the apostles in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, when they're commanded to stop speaking about Jesus, to stop speaking in that name. The authorities couldn't even bring themselves to say the name of Jesus. Stop speaking in that name, they said. And what did Peter say? On behalf of all the apostles, he said, we must obey God rather than man. So these are false worldviews anti-Christian. For our worldview, we must have as its foundation the Word of God, and that's why you're in a good place this morning. It's called Village Bible Church. So let's read our text this morning, chapter Acts chapter 2, and then I'll pray, and then we'll dig in. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through the end of the chapter, and then up at the end of chapter 4. Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all. As any had need, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Then, chapter 4, verse 32. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them, and brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Lord, we thank you for your church. We thank you that the early church, as it's recorded in your word, that It's such an example, not an example of uh, free of problems or free of pain or free of sin, but an example of community, Christ-centered community which cares for one another. Lord, help us, we pray, to cultivate these type of relationships at Village Bible Church. And uh, it's for your glory we ask and teach us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to look mainly at the the passage in chapter 4, but going back to the list in chapter 2 in a minute. um, Here we have two bookends at the end of the chapters that kind of summarize the work that's going on in the early church. That uh, God had descended, God the Holy Spirit had descended on Pentecost Sunday. Many were being saved, 3,000 souls were saved that first Pentecost Sunday. And the church began to grow. And within this context, we see that this community starts to come together. And things start happening within the community. And it affects other people on the outside of the community. And they're brought in as well. And first we see this, that they, they, they were a unified people. As I prayed, they were not perfect. Uh, they weren't without controversies. They weren't without doctrinal differences. All those things existed, but they had um, big-time unity. Number one, here's what kind of unity they experienced. Mystical unity. They experienced mystical unity. Chapter 4, verse 32 says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. That means they were together. They were unified. They were mystically unified. Now, mystically doesn't mean that it's magical. Mystical has to do with a connection that you have spiritually that you can't really exactly um, measure it or contain it or put it into, uh, uh, into the lab and test it. But there's a unity that the the church had with one another because they were believers and disciples of Jesus Christ. When you receive Christ as your Savior, when you trust in the Lord, you turn from your sin, and you turn to the Lord and he saves you, in that moment you become part of the universal church. You're unified with Christians all over the world. Isn't that awesome? Not only are you uh, unified with Christians all over the world on earth now, you're also in some ways unified with Christians uh, from all time. How? How can that be? Because as a believer, as a Christian, you're unified with God Almighty himself. You're unified with Jesus Christ. Paul tells uh, the church in Ephesus that you've been raised with Christ. So when you come to Christ, and you're a sinner, and you're in bondage to sin, but God saves you from your sin, and you, and you, uh, you wake up, O oh sleeper, rise from the grave, God shines on you and you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, in that time that you come, you are unified mystically with Christ himself. And in some sense, you're sitting right here in Sugar Grove this morning, but in in another sense, you're sitting in the heavenlies with God Almighty. Isn't that awesome? And that's the unity that we have with Christ that then we have with one another. Paul talks elsewhere about... um, in Galatians, that there's no more Jew or Greek, there's no more male or female, there's no more slave or free, but we're all one in Christ Jesus. We're all together in this thing. We're like a body. We might be a hand, we might be a foot, we might be a nose, but we're all part of the same body. It's the body of Christ. It's like a building that's being erected, Paul teaches to the Ephesus again. It's Jesus Christ is the cornerstone, and the apostles' teaching, that's the foundation. And now we're being built up, and each one of us is part of this great thing that's being built. The kingdom of Christ. It's a mystical unity that we have with one another. We can't put it into the lab and measure it, but it's real. Just yesterday I had a call from a family who I hadn't seen for some years. And because of our unity that we had in Christ, we're not related We don't live in the same place anymore. We did for a time that they called me. And because of one of their family members was in the hospital. Looks like he won't be um, on this side of heaven very much longer. But he will be in glory soon. And so I got to go be with them. And I, I can't explain why we just clicked. Other than this. Christ unifies us. The Lord Jesus Christ, we have him in common. And that's what brings us together that a phone call and a visit after some years is not a big deal because we got this mystical unity in Jesus. That's what the early church had. Secondly, they had missional unity. Verse 33 of chapter 4, And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. They're witnessing That's their mission. They're talking about Christ, that he's risen. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Proclaiming the gospel. Jesus is central. That's what we ought to do and what we strive to do here at Village Bible Church. Even in our vehicle of discipleship. And we talk about our three big values in that. The discover, develop, and deploy. We talk about that a lot. And that's all about Jesus. That's all about being missional. How do we make disciples and how do we grow disciples of Jesus Christ? We discover them first. We want you to meet Jesus Christ. We want you to be saved. And then we want you to develop your faith in Christ. We want you to grow in your faith. And then we want you to be deployed. To go out, whether it's in your backyard or across the world. We want you to go with the message of Jesus Christ to all the nations. And that's what we're unified here in the mission. We're unified in Christ. Mystically, we're unified in our mission. That's what the church had here in Acts chapter 2 and 4. Thirdly, they had material unity. They had material unity. Verse 34, There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Chapter 2, verse 44, And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. They cared for one another's needs. They took care of one another. Turn to James, chapter 2. This care for one another, materially, um, is a common characteristic of biblical community. Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James. Chapter 2, verse 15. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Now he's talking about faith without works. If you have faith, but you don't have works, well, what good is that? Because the work's going to prove if you have the faith or not. Your actions are also going to prove whether you care for that person next to you or not. You say, man, let's pray for Brother John. Brother John really needs some help. He's looking for a job. You know, he, he could appreciate a couple of good hot meals. Let's, let's pray that God would provide that. And then, okay, I'm going to go out to eat now. Anybody else want to come with me? Not you, John. You've got to go out and look for a job. But the rest of us. Well, we'll pray for you, buddy. We got you. No, we care for one another. We care for one another's needs. This is a common characteristic of Christ-centered community. So how did the church get there? How did they get to this place? How do we get to this place? I think in, in many ways we already have the mystical unity. that That's automatic when we come to faith in Christ. Um, we have missional unity. We're working on that together. That's a constant work in progress and will be until Christ returns. Um, and we, I think materially we're caring for one another's needs right now. Um, because of you, our church, uh, the Fatormas are in Africa right now, visiting their family, and uh, and and friends, and and experience some joy and some comfort through all the pain that they went through. Now they're able to share with their family and other believers in Liberia. So so we're doing that, but we can always do better in these things. So how did the church get there? First, it was a priority. It was a priority. Acts chapter 2, we read in verse 42, and they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. To be devoted means you're committed. You're committed to this thing. You're devoted. You're going to do this thing, whatever that thing is. You're committed, you're devoted to Village Bible Church. Let's just be honest. The church is way down the list on Americans' priorities. Not just Americans. The church is way down the list on people's priorities. So, man, it's a beautiful day today. I mean, it's so beautiful, I, I can stay home, right, not go not go to church. Oh, it's storming out today. Well, I better stay home from church. <laughs> I'm not being legalistic about coming to a service. I know people have different schedules. I know there's different things, and, 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 and we're not legalists about it, but what does your commitment look like to the body of Christ? If we were to be honest, and if we were to examine everybody's checkbook and calendar... What would it reveal about your relationship with the Lord and his church? They were devoted to, devoted to, first, the teaching of the apostles. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This is why we teach the Bible here at Village Bible Church. Because... um, the church got to this place of unity through studying the scriptures, really. Even though they didn't have the scriptures exactly the way that we had them now, that we get to enjoy now, they de- were devoted to the apostles' teaching. This contains the apostles' teaching, and we're devoted to them, to that. And so our kids learn from the Bible. The kids grow in God's word. The kids come to VBS and study God's word. Small groups gather, and we open up the Bible together. Tim comes and preaches, and he opens up the Bible with us we are devoted to God's word secondly they were devoted to fellowship they were devoted to fellowship they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to the fellowship we have a lot of images that come to our minds when we hear the word fellowship don't we so I didn't know I was going to do this but let's try this so what does fellowship mean to you call out a word fellowship means what What's that? Caring. Caring. Okay. Conversation. Conversation. Food. Food. That's the one I was looking for. Yes. (laughs) Food fellowship. That just goes together, right? Ice cream social tonight, 6 (laughs) o'clock. So fellowship is is a lot more than those things that we just talked about, which are good things. Conversation, spending time with one another, caring for one another, enjoying food together together. All those things are part of fellowship, but fellowship is, is is deeper than that. Luke seems to focus on a more radical meaning of fellowship. The word fellowship is koinonia. It's built on this root meaning. It's, it's having things in common. That we have things in common. And I think this is what Paul is talking to, uh, talking about, or uh, Luke is writing about here about the early church in verses forty-four and forty-five. It's really a fleshing out of fellowship. They had all things in common. They were belonging, uh, bringing all their belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, to any had needs. So the word common here, they, were, they had all things in common. Verse 44, that's the word koina. It's the same word. Then, then fellowship is koinonia. That's having all things in common. And so fellowship is, we're together. We're connected in various ways, in different events, and in conversation, and as friends. Um, But deeper than that, we together are in this life to care for one another and to meet each other's needs. That's part of fellowship as well, having these things in common. The first illustration, I think, that's used here in the text of fellowship. After the breaking of bread and of prayers, he goes to speak of this care for one another. That they would sell their possessions and use money to meet even the needs of the poor among them. Number three, they were devoted not only to the teaching of the apostles, the fellowship, but to the breaking of bread. To the breaking of bread. You see that? Now this is Obviously, a reference to the Lord's Supper, what we did together today. But no doubt it's other types of breaking of bread as well. To include food. To include the fellowship times. Then they were devoted, lastly, to prayer. To prayer. Prayer is, is not something that should just be limited to, let me give you three things that we 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 concentrate our prayers in these three areas and we limit our prayers into these three areas. Number one, um, to rote prayers. Prayer is not just for our rote prayers. You know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Great prayer. Jesus taught us the prayer to pray. But if that's the only prayer you're praying, you're missing a lot on your prayer life. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to take. Lord, thank you for this food. Amen. Or foxhole prayers. Our prayers shouldn't be limited to the foxhole prayers. You know what those are, right? When things are bad, when the bullets are flying, when the bombs are dropping, and you're in the foxhole, God, get me out of this, I pray. And it's usually attached to, God, if you get, this out, get me out of this, then I will do this. And then he gets you out of it. And then you forget the second part of that prayer. Now, God, does he hear the, the foxhole prayer? He hears all of our prayers. But we aren't to limit ourselves to the prayer in the foxhole when we need God to get us out of a jam. Or how about this? Just an afterthought. It's the prayer of an afterthought. I enjoyed this day today. We had a great day. Got a great family. Got a Man, this is a great day. Thank you, Lord, for this. Now, that's not a bad prayer. But the scriptures tell us that we should pray without ceasing. Now that's not that we're walking around with our eyes closed praying all the time, but it's that we're having a conversation with the one who created us. It's that we're thanking the Lord for things as they happen, that we're calling out to the Lord for help as they are happening, that we are communion in communion with the God of heaven and earth. This was the early church. This is how this was what they were characterized. They got to the place of unity by being devoted to these things. Okay, lastly, to maintain Christ-centered community, we must deal with relational difficulties in a biblical way. We must deal with relational difficulties in a biblical way. Now, most problems in the church are not doctrinal. Now, let me, let me step back from that statement for a second and explain to you what I mean. There are doctrinal problems uh, with, within churches, and that's why there's so many different denominations. And churches have split over doctrinal issues, okay? Don't know if this is true or not, but I, I read a story or heard it or something about so maybe it's true, of a church in California that was divided over whether Adam and Eve had belly buttons or not. Think about that. I just might have created a new problem here at Village Bible Church. <laughs> but most of the problems are not doctrinal because once they happen, churches break up and different churches are all around us that have different, different theological distinctives. And so you find the one where you fit the best. And if you come to Discover Village Bible class uh, next Sunday and the Sunday after, you're going to see where we stand on a lot of different doctrinal positions. And if it's a fit, good. If it's not, there's plenty of churches. But here's where we are doctrinally and theologically, most of those problems, though, that's not the big stresses in in church. You know what the big stress is? Is interpersonal relationships. It's conflicting personalities. It can can be the, the one who's upset at what's going on and can't wait to share that festering feeling with those around him or her. That's that's the difficulties that come up in church. Maybe you're dealing with somebody even within the church this morning and you're having a hard time and, and you're prone to gossip and you're prone to anger and you're, you're feeling that rub. I would just commend you to Matthew 18, verse 15 through 17. Jesus teaching really about how we deal with each other in the church. Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If your brother sins against you, sin is the issue. It's always the issue, isn't it? There is no church that is perfect because we're all sinners. And if there is a perfect church and you join it, then it just became not perfect. And because we sin... We're going to sin against our brother or sister. And if that happens to you, if someone sins against you, Jesus says to you this morning first, go to him. Go to her. Explain the issue. And if he listens to you, there's a good chance he listens to you. Jesus says, you gained a brother. That relationship's been healed. The devil doesn't have a foothold at Village Bible Church in that situation then because you followed what Jesus taught. You went to him and her and you said, hey, man, This is what happened. I've been sinned against. So here's what you don't do. You don't feel wronged. And you don't go and get on Facebook and post about how wronged you've been. And maybe you don't mention somebody's name. But everybody knows what you're talking about. If your brother sins, go to him. If it's cleared up, you gained a brother. But if he does not listen, Jesus says, verse 16, Take one or two others with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Hey, uh, brother, sister, I'm coming now with a couple of others, and, and I'm, this is serious for me. And I love you, and I want to do what's right, but I feel like this has come in between us, and we need to make it right. Let's not leave this place till we make it right today. And then lastly, If he refuses to listen to them, tell to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. The hard work of church discipline. Deal with relational difficulties in a biblical way. I believe that if we would just practice the first step that Jesus lays out for us faithfully, 95% of the problems would be cleared up right away. And you would gain a brother and you would gain a sister. So let's end here with the choices that we must make today. Choices that must be made. You can choose isolation or you can choose involvement. And here at Bible Church, Village Bible Church, you can choose one of these. Isolation is easier. It's easier just to come and to go. It's easier to keep your heart closed to people. It's easier. Involvement's messier. It's messy to be involved with others. The stuff Jesus is talking about right here, the relational, interpersonal relationships and how to deal with those things, that can be messy, and that's hard work, and it takes work. But I'll also say this. Isolation is low risk. It's also low reward. Involvement it's higher risk. It's messier. But there's higher reward and blessing in it. God's created us to be in community with one another. To be involved with one another. So that we can help each other through the hard times in life. And help each other grow into the image and likeness of Christ himself. And that's what we have in the church. You can choose Secondly, selfishness or service. You can see the church, it's a type of vending machine. You got children's ministries, they're doing good, good. Kids got the children's ministry covered. Do they have small groups? Small groups? Oh, good, they got small groups. Well, they got some good praise and worship music. Oh, got my music covered. The preaching's good, got the preaching. Boy, give me all that stuff, good stuff, heap it on me. It's all for me. And you're going to become a a real fat Christian. Or do you want to invest in the lives of those around you and serve one another? So many of you who have come to Village Bible Church, you are serving in so many different ways. And praise God for that. And I would encourage you, if you're not involved, get involved in serving here at Village Bible Church. Possessions are people. You're going to choose things in this life? Are you going to choose people? The early church people were selling houses, they said. Did I read that right? Houses, the text said, and land to support other people. They weren't investing in possessions because they realized and they recognized that possessions they're going to wind up in the burn pile someday. Do you know that everything that you own right now is future garage sales stuff or garbage dump stuff? That's true. So are you going to invest in that stuff? Or are you going to invest in people? People are going to be around for eternity. The one thing, everybody says you can't take anything to heaven. No, you can. The one thing you can take into heaven is relationships. Last one. Legalism Or love. You're going to choose legalism, which says, be this way, do these things, and then I'll accept you. Or you're going to choose the way of love. I love you just the way that you are. You know that's how God loves us? God loves us just the way that you are. Listen. It's not heresy. God loves you just the way you are. Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for you to fix yourself, to love you. He loved you when you were a sinner. So God loves you just the way you are, but listen, he loves you too much to leave you the way that you are. That's why he calls you into relationship with his church so that you can grow, that you can be changed, that you can become more like Jesus, more like Christ. So choose to love like God loves us and love that neighbor that you really can't stand in a lot of ways. To love that friend who does the annoying Facebook stuff. To love the other neighbor who has a lifestyle that you don't agree with. But you know what? You're not going to do legalism now. I'm going to love choices that must be made. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your church and the relationships that we have here. And God, I ask, I pray, uh, that you would be doing a work in our hearts, in our lives. That we would be the people, and that we would be the church that you've made us to be. Lord, we... We long for this type of unity. We long for this to be a place where you are free to move and that you are changing and saving lives as we care for one another, even to meet each other's needs. And so I thank you, Lord, that you are alive and well and this is happening. We praise you for the work that you're doing here at our church. But, Lord... We want more. Holy Spirit, come, we pray, in the days and weeks and months and years ahead and do a mighty work here at Village Bible Church. In Jesus' name, amen.